0: So I failed to hit the record button on Sunday morning for the sermon until about 10 minutes in. So the next 10 minutes are re-recorded in my study. Um, so what we did on Sunday is, yeah, the picture that we've been living with last year where we have the things, that, the four things that every church should love. We are to love God in our worship, we are to love one another in community, we're called to love our neighbors as an act of mercy, and we're called to love the world, has God so loved the world, and take the good news into the world. And at the center of that, you've got the kingdom, or the the, the gospel. The gospel is what drives all of those things. Now, we ended last year the book of Acts and we ended with Paul in Rome and you might remember the very last verse of the book of Acts has Paul sitting in a Roman prison or under house arrest in Rome and we're told that he is constantly declaring or proclaiming the kingdom of God and so that's our theme for this coming year that's going to be our theme the kingdom of God what the kingdom of God looks like and so we have a, a new picture, a new design uh, up on the screen um, that actually is a repeat of last year. It's just slightly different um, with slightly different images. But every kingdom needs a king. Every kingdom has a king. doesn't matter what, king you're, what kingdom you're part of, you have to have a king. South Africa is not a kingdom and therefore we don't have a king other than the king of the Zulus. Uh, our... our nation is apparently a democracy, although sometimes it seems to resemble an idiotocracy. (laughs) Um, But we don't have a king. The United Kingdom has a king, but their king, King Charlie, is a constitutional monarch. In other words, other people let him be king, and he gets to wear a fancy hat and get embroiled in tabloids about his son. Um, so every every kingdom needs a kingdom, and, and, and a king, in the, and in the old days, a king just meant absolute monarch, he rules, their, just whatever he says goes. Now there aren't too many absolute monarchs in the world anymore, and if they are, they tend to be bad, but the implication behind a kingdom is a king who rules. What else do you need in a kingdom? A kingdom ne- needs subjects. So it's no good for a rule for the king to rule just a kingdom of himself, just a kingdom of one, although many of us try to do just that. We make ourselves king and rule our own little empire with just ourselves in it. But a proper for a proper kingdom to be established, a king needs some subjects, and subjects that are in submission to him and not in rebellion against him. Every kingdom, of course, needs a realm, it needs borders, it needs boundaries, it needs a location. The kingdom of Eswatini has. Boundaries. The kingdom, the United Kingdom, has boundaries and borders. Although they do wonder a little, worry a little bit about their borders with Ireland. And I think perhaps they're a bit concerned about how much Guinness might actually end up crossing that border, that boundary. But every kingdom needs a place. And then every kingdom needs rules. Every kingdom runs on a set of rules and regulations. Uh, Call it the ethos of the kingdoms. a set a set of rules and laws. And if it's a good and healthy kingdom, then those rules will be rules of justice. And when injustice and the and the unjust rule, when that becomes the norm of the kingdom, there is rebellion. And so Eswatini has riots a couple of years ago because there is an unjust rule. Think of King John and Robin Hood, right, where where, where, um, King John actually has to go and sign the Magna Carta, which is a document saying that he couldn't do what he liked anymore because the nation had risen up in rebellion against him because the kingdom at that point was unjust. Every kingdom needs to have a set of standards and rules and then if it's if most kingdoms want to expand and if 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 they're good kingdoms it's a good thing to do we want the kingdom to expand and to grow and to absorb people into this kingdom of justice and righteousness and so in many ways this new image of what we're looking at this year kind of matches last year we have every king kingdom has a king and god is at the top we worship him every kingdom has subjects we have community Every kingdom is ruled by justice and mercy, or it should be, and we should be merciful to those around us, and the kingdom seeks to expand. We're to to go into all the world with the good news of the kingdom. And at the center of this kingdom stands the cross. So here's what we're going to do in order to explore the kingdom this year, or at least for the beginning of it. We're going to read the book of 2 Samuel. Now, here's why we're going to read the book of 2 Samuel. About eight years ago, I preached from 1 Samuel. And I never actually got around to doing part two. So some of you might remember that we called that series The Game of Thrones. Because that really was what it was about. It was the story of 1 Samuel is just who will be king? Who will be king? Will it be the people's choice or will it be God's king? Will it be Saul or will it be David? and so the book of 1 samuel really focuses on that first section of this little picture this little image right of of who rules who's the king who will rule your life who is your king and some of you may remember what i said and if you weren't there you've heard me say this many times since you're not david so a- as we get into the story of 2nd samuel over the next couple of months we need to remember that as as human beings we, we're like this we want to insert ourselves into the story as the hero. And so often the Old Testament stories end up being just nice morals because we put ourselves in the story and want to find ourselves as the hero in the story. And so we end up with stories that end up being a little bit like, be brave like David and, and lead well like Nehemiah. And you can be the good Samaritan if you try. But over the years I've tried to flip that. And, and remember when we preach through Nehemiah at the end, Nehemiah is a failure and he acknowledges it. If you're going to lead like Nehemiah you're looking at failure. The point of Nehemiah's story is not be like Nehemiah. The point is we need a better leader. We need somebody who will do a better job of building and establishing the kingdom. We need a better Moses. We need a better lawgiver. You're not Moses. And so as we get into Second Samuel and the life of David in this, in this book, you, you, there'll be times where we're going to learn from the moral picture, be like David, or as it may be, don't be like David. But the main point of this book is to go, this is God's king, ruling over God's people establishing God's kingdom, the place in which God dwells, and bringing about God's blessing of peace, which leads into another sermon series that I did a couple of years ago. So this morning is just all about laying foundations. But some of you remember that the easy definition of the kingdom of God is that it's God's people in God's place, under God's rule, and enjoying God's blessing. And let me just quickly run through the whole story of the Bible with those thoughts in mind. The Bible starts with... Creation with the Garden of Eden, where we have God's people, Adam and Eve, in God's place, the Garden of Eden, where God comes in and meets with them every day, where the presence of God is. So we have a king, God, and God's people, God's subjects, are in God's place, where God meets with them, and they live by God's rule of, you shall eat all the fruit you want, except the fruit of that tree. And as long as they live under that law, under that command, they enjoy God's blessing of peace, of shalom. I think it's fascinating to to see that Adam and Eve are created on the very late afternoon of the 6th day. What's the first thing that they enjoy? Sabbath. They enjoy the Sabbath rest, the first thing they get to do. And not only do they enjoy the Sabbath, it's evening and then it's morning. That's how this thing works. So they, they create created late afternoon. The first thing they enjoy is Friday night. They get to go to sleep. God's people in God's place under God's rule and enjoying His blessing. But chapter 3 turns things a little bit differently, right? The snake arrives, they they defy God's, God's laws, they decide that they'll be their own king, they'll rule themselves, and so God's people are exiled from the garden. God's people are no longer in God's place. And God's people are no longer living under God's rule. Oh no, they, they've decided to rule themselves, and the result of that is instead of God's blessing, they experience God's curse. God's people, not in God's place, not under God's rule, certainly not enjoying God's blessing. Abraham comes along in chapter 12. God meets with Abraham and makes a covenant with Abraham and says, I will be your God, I'll be your king, you'll be my people. (laughs) All right, we've got God's people now. Uh, And God says, I will take you to a place that I will show you. That'll be where you live. That'll be our place, your place, my place. I will meet with you there. God's people, promise of God's place. And God says, you know, um, God offers the, the, the covenant circumcision and then promises to Abram that he will be a blessing to the nations. God's people, God's place, God's rule, God's blessing. And then you get the story of, of uh, Joseph and Jacob and now God's people have expanded. There's 70 of them, um, but they're not in God's place. At the end of Genesis, they've had a look around the land of Canaan, which God has promised them the promised land. But instead of settling in the promised land, they've gone to Egypt. And now we've got God's people who've expanded. That's not like, not quite the numbers that God had promised Abraham yet. There's only 70 of them, but they're God's people, but they're not in God's place. And by the time the book of Exodus starts, we realize that God's people have expanded. There's lots of them, but they're not under God's rule. They're under the rule of Pharaoh. They're not in God's place. They're in Egypt, and they're definitely experiencing the curse. They're slaves. And so God sends a a deliverer, Moses, who will rescue his people and take them out from under the rule of Pharaoh. And Moses takes them from under the rule of Pharaoh to Mount Sinai, where they come under the rule of God and where they learn the law and the rule of God. Now we've got God's people and they've got God's commands. And the promise is if they obey these commands, they will experience God's blessing They spent 40 years in the desert, and at the very end, in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses holds it out very clearly to them, um, blessing or curse. It's the same story as Genesis, blessing or curse. Obey the law of God, and there is rich blessing. Disobey it, and there is curse. And so God's people then, through Joshua, enter the promised land. So now God's people are in God's place. But as you get into the book of Judges, you see again and again the repeated line of, there was no king in those days, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so the people of Israel go through the cycle of the blessing of God, where there is rest and peace, and the curse, where they're under threat and an invasion from their enemies. And so you get to David and Solomon, and the kingdom is finally established. We have God's people living in God's place under the rule of God's king and enjoying the blessing. By the time you get to the story of Solomon, the streets are paved with gold. Everyone's eating off silver plates. And it says at one point that everyone or every Israelite sat under his own olive tree. That's the picture of blessing. But it doesn't last And so Solomon dies and the kings descend into chaos and the land descends into chaos until eventually the Babylonians come and God's people are exiled from God's place. Just like the story in Eden. They're taken from God's place into Babylon. They're no longer under God's rule. They're now again under the rule of foreign kings. They do not experience the blessing. They experience the curse of exile. And then during the days of Nehemiah and Israel, they come back into the land. But when they come back, It's all exciting. God's people coming back to God's place and they're going to rebuild the city. And in a sense, they're rebuilding the kingdom. But Nehemiah tells us that the city is only like a quarter full. Um, So God's people, again, there's not many of them. And they're in God's place, but God's place is in ruins and they rebuild the temple. But it's not like the tabernacle where it's filled with the presence of God. It's not like Solomon's temple that was um, filled with the spirit of God. It's just a building. And so God's people are in God's place. And they're, they're seeking God's blessing, but Nehemiah ends with, they can't get blocked, God's blessing. Um, they're under the curse once again because they can't keep God's laws. 400 years go by, and Jesus arrives. And God's king comes to Israel. And who, during the, reign of Je- during the, during the time of Jesus' knows? Who, who then is God's people? Well, it's the 12 apostles. And not just the 12, but anyone else who follows Jesus. And so you've got God himself come to earth. And where is God's presence then? Where is God's place? Anywhere that Jesus is. Anywhere that Jesus is. So you've got God's people, the 12 apostles and whoever follows Jesus. And you've got God's place wherever Jesus is. It's not the temple anymore. Um... So the Jews have got the temple, and they're trying to keep God in the temple and keep him safe. And where is God? He's running around the countryside, feeding the sick and casting out the demons and, and feeding the hungry. And preaching the good news that the kingdom of God is here. That's the message of Jesus, that the kingdom of God is among you. And so you've got God's people, the disciples, in God's place, wherever Jesus is. Learning about what are the laws and rules of this new kingdom and their rules of grace It's not rules of don't do this and you better not do that It's rules of grace and wherever they are with Jesus. Jesus offers blessing You remember these words of Jesus all who are weary and Burdened Come to me and you shall find rest for your souls Shalom God's people in God's place, God's presence living under his rule enjoying his blessing and then Jesus dies and goes to heaven and then what? now what happens? now what's the kingdom like? because now we've got the book of Acts and here we are what does the kingdom of God look like now? do we have a king? where is he? at the right hand of God the Father sitting on his throne Jesus is our king what are the boundaries of his kingdom now? we you know, uh, God's people in God's so well, no, 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 the sort of other way around, God's people. who are God's people right now? We, Bradley is. yes. We are, right? The church, those who love Jesus are God's people. right? Not a nation, not a particular ethnic group, not a tribe. Those who love Jesus are God's people. And where is God's place? Wherever we meet, wherever we gather, remember Paul's words? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit and our English is not very good. We need to be proper South African. Use guys, God. Use God's are, pre- are the temple. That's what Paul says. He doesn't say you as an individual are the temple of God He says you as a collective you together are the temple of God. Where is God's place right now? Wherever God's people meet God's people you God's place right here God's law, what is the rule and law of our kingdom? Grace, mercy, justice, righteousness, peace. What is the blessing that He offers? Shalom, rest for those who are weary and come to Him and find that rest. And it doesn't end there because one day our King will return and heaven will come to earth. And God's King will reign, and this whole world earth will be governed. I mean, it is already governed by Him in one sense, but this whole world will be His place. And the New Jerusalem talks about it does not need a temple anymore. Why? Because God is not located in the temple. God's glory is visible everywhere. And God's people are all the redeemed saints from all of time who will be together, and God's people will be in God's presence, and they will enjoy His presence forever and that's the storyline of the Bible and now you can open up anywhere in the Bible and go oh that's what's going on here we've got God's people but they're not in God's place that's the problem or we've got God's place but there are no people that's the problem or we've got God's people but they're not worshiping God that's the problem you can find yourself anywhere in the Bible and figure out what it's all about So, having started with all of that and got that far and told you that we're going to be doing 2 Samuel, we're not starting 2 Samuel this morning. We're going to start 2 Samuel next week. What we're going to do this morning is read Psalm 145. I hope you like my introduction. I'll be quicker with the rest, I promise. Psalm 145 is apparently the last Psalm that David wrote so David wrote this psalm at the end of 2nd Samuel so that's why we're going there this morning because it's actually connected to 2nd Samuel it's the end of 2nd Samuel this is how 2nd Samuel ends so if you have a Bible turn there with me it's relatively well known it goes like this I will exalt you my God the King I will praise your name forever and ever every day i will praise you and extol your name forever and ever great is the lord and most worthy of praise his greatness no one can fathom one generation will commend your works to another they will tell of your mighty acts they will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty and i will meditate on your wonderful works they will tell of the power of your awesome works and i will proclaim your great deeds they will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all He has made. All you, who, all you have made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will extol you. They will tell of the glory of your kingdom and they will speak of your might so that all men may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful toward his promises, loving toward all he has made. The Lord upholds all those who fall, lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand And satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, loving toward all he has made. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise. His holy name forever and ever. So this psalm is written at the end of the days of David. When David has established the kingdom. It has expanded. The boundaries are where they're supposed to be. David has still been a warmongering king. But his enemies have all been defeated. And by the time his son Solomon takes the throne. There will be no more enemies to defeat. So this is kind of close to the apex of. Of the kingdom of God in the Old Testament and David is looking back at this and He's looking at the kingdom of God and looking at the kingdom that he's been part of and as David looks back He's got to have a little bit of a wobble in his mind Because when we get into 2nd Samuel, we're gonna find all sorts of fun stuff that go on in the kingdom incest murder rape all kinds of injustice Betrayal Not the sort of things that you'd want to associate with the kingdom of God in fact It sounds very much like any other kingdom That's governed by rape murder power control violence wealth Intrigue and so David gets to look back of the, the, the kingdom that he has ruled over for 40 years and goes I wonder if it's gonna last I wonder if it's gonna last and at the very end of his kingdom just before he dies We'll get there, but just before he dies one of his other sons tries to kick his dad off the throne at the very end And they've got to squash that and now Solomon is king At the very beginning of his kingdom there was an argument between him and one of the son surviving sons of Saul And that goes nasty for a few years halfway through the book He's fighting for his kingdom with his own son Absalom And so his kingdom has always been a bit shaky he's always having to fight for his kingdom and will the kingdom endure and he knows that God has promised that you will always have a son on the throne to rule and we know that that promise is fulfilled in Jesus but David has to look back and wonder is my kingdom going to last? and I think David looks at his kingdom and sees in it the shadow of a greater kingdom of a bigger kingdom of a kingdom that is going to last. Now I've got to say that the word kingdom or the kingdom of God. Doesn't appear very often in the Old Testament. It, it appears lots in the Gospels. Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. They mean the same thing. And Jesus speaks a lot about that. The apostles in the book of Acts and the letters. Less so but the kingdom is still evident and apparent. In the Old Testament kingdom of God as a phrase doesn't appear very often. And yet here in the psalm. David speaks about the kingdom of God. And so it's instructive that we read about God's kingdom right here. And so there are just three things that I want to highlight from this psalm this morning. Number one, there is a kingdom. It's kind of the high point or the peak moment in the psalm. Right at the very middle of it, in verse, I think it's verse 10 through verse 14 or thereabouts, 10 through 13. Um It reaches this apex of the psalm at the very center they will tell of your kingdom they will declare your kingdom your kingdom will never end your kingdom is everlasting and so it's all about right in that center there this kingdom of God it's at the heart of the psalm it's the the fine David's final poem and at the heart of it is the kingdom of God and as he's looking back over those 40 years he's going what lasts what endures And you know what? 40 years sounds like a very long time until you turn 50. And then you realize actually it wasn't that long at all. And it was over in a bit of a hurry. And some of you have gone around 40 twice. And some of you are very close to going around 40 twice. (laughs) And it doesn't... is it long? Was it that long? I don't know. David's looking back in it, and he sees the mess that he's made of things, and he's seen the ruin of his own son, Absalom, and he, he's holding on to that promise that God says your kingdom will endure. But I think he sees here a greater kingdom at work, a kingdom that will never end. And you know, every empire ends. The sun sets on every empire at some stage. The British Empire is over. Sorry for, for you know, there are some of us colonialists who... Still want to go rule Britannia, but not anymore. And whatever's left of it is being kicked to death by Harry. Um, the Roman Empire was meant to be a thousand year reign. That's what it was meant to be. It lasted about 500 years. It ended with the barbarians invading Rome and destroying the place. No empire has lasted, no matter its vastness and its power. Go and wander around Europe today and see the remains of the Roman Empire. See the remains of the Greek Empire. See those glorious statues and images and all the wonder of it. But they're over. They're done. And David says, there is another kingdom a kingdom that will not last, will not end, will not fade, a kingdom that will endure, a kingdom that will not become just another footnote in the history books. Hebrews talks about a kingdom that shall not, that cannot be shaken. We have the kingdom of God at the center of the song. And on either side of the kingdom of God we have two things. On the, on the one side, at the very beginning, we have a king. There is a king. Not only is there a kingdom, but there is a king. And David starts with, I will extol you, my God and my king. And David himself is a king. And he's the king of a dominant empire at the time. It's the dominant empire of the Middle East. He is God's appointed and chosen king. And David knows that he himself is in submission to a greater power, to a greater king. And there is someone else that he must bow the knee to. And so, in a sense, there's this obvious thing that David, in in considering a greater kingdom, recognizes a greater king. And each one of us lives like this. We all start every day by saying these words, even if you don't say it aloud, even if you're not consciously saying it, we begin and live every day with, I will extol you, my God and my King. The simple question is, who is your God? And who is your king? Again, like I said, that was a big question in 1 Samuel. There are two kings. The king that that the people appointed and God's king. Because the thing is, we all need a king to rule over us, to tell us what to do, and to deliver us from our enemies. And some of you are so proud that you think you can be your own king. And that you can defeat your own enemies by just a bit of strong self-will and can-do-it attitude and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. The people of Israel in 1 Kings, when they were appointing a king, said, We need a king who will deliver us, who will fight our enemies for us. And there are all, we all have enemies that we want to overcome. And to remind you, your enemy is not the Muslims. They're not your enemy. The enemy is not the taxi drivers. I know it feels like it. The enemy is not the guy that you're competing with for shady parking at the mall today. Again, you may want to turn him into your enemy. He's not. And We we all have our own enemies. We all have our own things that go on in us. Some of you battle with low self-esteem. That's the one that you fight. Some of you fight with boredom and laziness. (laughs) Some of you deal with addictions. What are the things that worry us? What are the things that keep us awake at night? What are the things that consume our time? Those are our enemies. And we need a king who will fight our battles for us. Now the Israelites recognized that they had enemies and they appointed Saul as their king. And do you remember what the basis was of that decision? Why did they want Saul to be their king? He's tall. And he's handsome. (laughs) Tall and handsome. If that's the case, then Chris should be our king. One out of two is not bad. (laughs) And apparently that's how you choose a king. And we do that today. We need someone who is going to defeat the giant of self-despair and self-esteem and depression. We need someone who will defeat the enemy of shame and embarrassment. We need someone who will defeat the enemy of loneliness. We need someone... And we go around and look for whoever's available whatever's out there and we pick a philosophy and we pick an attitude and we pick a self-help theory and we think these are the things that will deliver us these are the things that will lead us to the good life and to shalom hard work a better job a better wife a better husband and I can make him better I'll shape him These are the things that will deliver us from our worries and our fears. And that will lead to the good life and to the life of peace and blessing. And if I can just get the right kind of tape for my wife, I can sit on my chair in the back garden and enjoy peace. Nothing wrong with that, right? And does it work? No, because she always figures out how to take the tape off and tell us what to do. And whatever it is that we pick and whatever it is that we're fighting against, and you'll remember, I keep telling you this story because it's great. Because the story that best illustrates this is the story of David and Goliath. And you'll remember again, you're not David in the story. You're the Israelites who are cowering in fear in the ditches. Going, there is an enemy and that enemy is threatening to turn us into his slaves. Because that's what our enemies do. That's what our fears do. That's what our worries do. They turn us into slaves. And we, we die from them. And we need someone who will deliver us from our enemies. Who, will deliver, who should deliver Israel from the enemy, Goliath? Saul. Why? Because he's the king and he's tall and handsome. Right? So, so remember they're fighting a giant. What do you need if you're going to fight a giant? Another giant, a bigger giant. What is this characteristic of Saul? He's big! He's head and shoulders above everyone else. What's even more exciting is that Saul and Jonathan are the only two people in all of Israel that have an iron sword. The rest of the Israelites have gone to battle with a pointy stick. Okay, so who should fight the battles? What is Saul being appointed to do? What is Saul doing? Saul is sitting in his tent, enjoying the air conditioning and someone fanning him and popping grapes and whatever else he's doing. And we appoint our kings to go and fight our enemies and our kings cannot defeat our enemies for us. They just can't. The philosophies, the opinions, the rules and regulations, the the things that you hold dear to, your job, you you know this. You, You are entirely dispensable at your work. Your job can't deliver you. Uh, your job keeps you out of debt and keeps you going. But so you experience the moment when your job says, "Thank you for your faithfulness and your hard work for the last ten years. Goodbye." And who will go and fight our greatest enemies for us? Who will go and fight sin, Satan, and death? And so God's King comes along not what you expect a king to look like humble, short (laughs) Trevor, yes there you go this is today's story of Chris and Trevor tall and handsome, short I'm gonna stop there (laughs) and God's king comes in and God's king kills the giant with just a stone and the story is not, you can defeat your giants if you have faith like David. No, you can't. You're cowering. Hey, what? You have, you have to be short. And some of us aren't short enough. No, you're cowering in the bush. You have a pointy stick. That's what you have. The Psalm 145 starts with, I will exalt my God and my King. And you need to choose what king it is that you're exalting. And if it's God's king and it's into the kingdom, then, then there is hope. But if you've established your own king and you set yourself up to be the king, I rule my little empire. You know, the kingdom of God expands. Your little empire of one, can I tell you what it does? It shrinks. It shrinks in on itself and you get caught up in your own self and your own kingdom and your own world and your own sins and it shrinks and it shrinks and i don't know if i'm gonna up from here um, and it will crush you there is a king his name is jesus and i will meditate on his deeds and his awesome works and his mighty acts there is a kingdom there is a king and on the other side of the kingdom in the psalm is there are I don't even know what to call this, there is an ethos of the kingdom, there are the rules of the kingdom there is the, the, the ideal of the kingdom, whatever else you want to call it this is how the kingdom operates and it kind of starts a little bit earlier with a description of the king in verse uh, verse 11, no, verse 10, no, verse 8 the Lord is gracious and compassionate and kind and good and merciful and filled with loving kindness We have a kingdom, we have a king, and the kingdom is run on justice and righteousness. It is a kingdom governed by mercy. And there are not many kingdoms that operate like that, are there? Most kingdoms operate on power. Most kingdoms operate on control. Most most kingdoms are run through who's got the wealth. Most kingdoms are run through fear, most kings wield arbitrary power, those kingdoms are kingdoms where justice becomes invisible, where might is right, and where wealth buys you privilege, and that marks every empire of the world, that marks Eswatini, that marks the United Kingdom, and it's not just political empires, that marks the business world, I've already said it, whether it's a business empire of 10,000 employees or 10 employees there's generally someone with power and someone somewhere is going it's not fair. I do more than they do. I'm pulling in my fair share of work. Why aren't they? Kingdoms don't run. Our world very seldom runs on justice. And when your kingdom is run by might and power and wealth and prestige and beauty There will never be fairness. There will never be justice. But the kingdom of God is something different altogether. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of mercy where the undeserving don't get what they really deserve and where the ill-deserving get what they don't deserve. Because it is a kingdom of grace and loving-kindness. It is a kingdom in which, which the king does not hand out goodness to his cronies But where the king is good to all his subjects. I mean, let me read those last seven verses again very slowly. Verse 14 The Lord upholds all those who fall, He lifts up all who are bowed down. How many kingdoms and empires grind people into the dust and if you're climbing the slippery pole of of acclaim and esteem in our world the only way to get up there is to trample the people below you if you want your Instagram to go big and you want to become an Instagram influencer you need to make sure that yours are better than the rest and you need to squish those behind you you get ahead by trampling down the rest and this kingdom he upholds those who fall down he lifts up all who have bowed down the eyes of all look to you you give them their food at the proper time you open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing you open your hand and you satisfy isn't that what every kingdom should be like Where where it's open-handed and everyone in the kingdom is satisfied? Isn't that what it was like in Solomon's day? Everyone eats of silver plates. Every Israelite is sitting under his olive tree or his grapevine. Everyone is benefiting in 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 the goodness of the kingdom. Everyone is content. In the kingdom of South Africa, we're not particularly content right now, are we? ESCOM leaves us somewhat dissatisfied. We certainly see that the benefits of the country are not equally shared with everyone. In fact, the kingdom, the kingdom of Western civilization, leaves us deeply dissatisfied. Um, tell you this quickly I I, I saw the quote and then I lost it but I know some of you love to hear this kind of stuff Megan Fox is engaged to Machine Gun Kelly it's been a fantastic relationship if you followed the relationship over the last few years it's been wonderful their first first meeting together she was sitting in a chair he walked past her she looked at him and said you smell like weed and he said I am weed and walked on and that was their connecting moment made for each other. Megan Fox says this. She says, I was in a place of despair and hopelessness. I had given up on life. My life was going nowhere. She was married, had two children, I think. And she's like, and she's gorgeous, just sat and Careful, my wife, Bernice is not listening, so it's okay. Um, but, and, and she's got everything going for her. She's got wealth and fame, the whole lot, and she's like, my, my life is empty, my life is going nowhere, it is hopeless, I think she was in rehab at the time, and just like, it's done and over. And that's where Western society takes us to. And then Machine Gun Kelly comes along. You should Google him. He's a gorgeous looking guy. He's fantastic. Um, he comes along and she's like, I've found my soulmate. My life is transformed. And she has invested everything into him. And th- their relationship has just been bizarre like, weirdly codependent. And now, but now she's fulfilled and got everything she's wanted because this man is giving her everything she needs and he's the same you're my life, my soul, my everything and a year ago he tried to commit suicide I'm like really? she satisfies me like that? and now two years later now they got engaged and it's all it's just a wonderful thing and someone will correct me last week, the week before, three weeks ago, I don't know she put out that she's looking for on on social media, generally, that she's looking for a girlfriend. And so you go, my life is meaningless, my life is dead, it's all over, but this guy fills and satisfies me, and now I have everything that I've ever wanted to be, and now, three years later, he's not enough. That's our society. Even if you're not married to Machine Gun Kelly, it's what our society lives by. Because we appoint a king, relationship, will satisfy, and after three years we realize, it's not what I was looking for but he satisfies he satisfies the desire of every living thing the Lord is righteous in all his ways, loving toward all he has made, near to those who call on him fills the desires of those who fear Him, watches over them, and love, watches over all those who love him and destroys the wicked that's the kingdom we're part of there is a kingdom, it has a king, it is governed by justice. And I'm done because we're tired and it's hot and my goodness, I've gone on a long time this morning. But I need to invite you this morning to once again embrace the kingdom, step into the kingdom, bow to the king because we are, even as Christians and even though we're all most of us are Christians here this morning, I guess, and we're all saying yes we, we surrender to the king, but actually we have our own kings and come this morning and bow before the true king. And let him satisfy your desires. Let him lift you up from the dust. Instead of crush you in the dust. Come and worship the king today. Let's pray. Our gracious father. We thank you that there is a kingdom. That there is a better kingdom than the kingdoms of this world. That there is a better king. Than all the kings out there. And that the kingdom that we're part of. Is a kingdom of justice. And righteousness. And grace. A kingdom that satisfies. So, Lord, would you satisfy us? Amen. My goodness, we're going to have tea. Is it someone's birthday today?